<clears throat> this evening's talk is about uh, generosity. It seems that the Buddha in the sutras, you can really see that he taught in a very gradual way. And especially to lay practitioners, people that had really no uh, understanding of the Dhamma. And he would therefore really emphasize the practice of generosity as being a foundation. And then the practice of sila, which is wholesome conduct, integrity, or morality, as the second foundation, before he would teach mindfulness or wisdom practice. And it's uh, quite understandable that we really need to understand why we are uh, engaged in this practice and from which place we are manifesting this kindness, this generosity of heart to ourselves and then to other people. And in a way, there is a very deep notion that is understood through the practice of generosity, and that is the practice of relinquishment or letting go, which I think we've done quite a lot in these days here in many, many ways. Generosity is the first of the ten perfections, the ten paramis. And um, reading these over a while ago, I thought, wow, you know, in a retreat, intensive retreat like this one, we definitely nourish and deepen our uh, paramis, our perfections of heart and mind. And they're not specific to uh, the Buddha's teaching, to the Dhamma. They're really wholesome, universal values that we can take outside of this intense retreat place and set up. Definitely, there's a possibility of manifesting these wholesome qualities. And just so that you have a sense that you have been cultivating these uh, perfections or paramis, I'll just name them. So generosity is the first one. Then there's morality, the precepts that we're taking. Then the path of renunciation, which we definitely manifested here. Energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve or determination, loving-kindness, equanimity, wisdom. All these beautiful qualities of heart have been nourished and deepened. So generosity, dana, we're all familiar with the word of dana, and it refers in the teachings to the act of giving and to the donation itself. Now there's another word which we hear much less often, at least I haven't heard it in my early years of um, as a yogi, and it's this other world word is kaga, which of course is Pali. And what does kaga mean? Well, it's a very important word and notion because what it refers to is the personal attribute or the inner disposition 
to be generous. It's the attitude of the heart and mind of the virtue of generosity that will ensure the donation. And from what intention, you can say, from what act are we in accordance with the path? So what does it mean for us to practice kaga? Well, it really refers to our inner attitude. Because we can really give outwardly and manifest this uh, generosity from a place of delusion. It's absolutely possible that there can be delusion and not wisdom. So it's important in the teachings, it's referred to really notice what again is the motivation for our giving for our donation. What is this uh, act of giving? Where is it coming from? So we know very well that this path is one of letting go of clinging. And again, there's so many layers and so many possibilities of relinquishment here. To what extent is letting go or is relinquishment manifested in regard to generosity. So we place this generosity or this donation from a place of wisdom. It's wisdom or understanding that comes first in a way, you can say, and that will enable the act to be one where there's a wholesome quality which is manifested. So generosity, the wholesome quality, this first wholesome quality, is said to be a wholesome root or wholesome mind state. And it's the first of the three very wholesome roots that we cultivate and that counteract the unwholesome roots, unwholesome mind states. Generosity is the first, and then loving-kindness, metta, which we've been practicing here, is the second and then wisdom, or non-delusion, non-ignorance, is the third. And so these three wholesome qualities really counteract the unwholesome ones, which are greed, hatred, and delusion. We really talked about these quite at length. The Buddha pointed to the spiritual power of a gift offered with a genuine attitude of kaga, which means of inner disposition, in two ways. So we can relate and know for ourselves what does it mean to have this inner disposition before we make this action of offering. The first way is really the complete relinquishment, in a way, of self-interest. Offering in a way that we don't need and we don't want something back. It's exactly the same quality of, uh, as for metta. It doesn't look for a result. It's not giving in order to receive. And there's no presence of a self-reference. 
The second is stretching the act of giving itself, which means that we give a little more than what we would normally offer. And that's really practicing the action of letting go. One teacher um, in one of the retreats that I attended, he said, give until it hurts. I, you know, I'm not completely sure that that's wholesome. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I agree with this statement because um, this is the middle path. If it hurts, well, I've seen for myself that at times I've given in the way that it hurt. And the manifestation or the result of that action was that there was regret or worry in the mind because maybe there had been an action that was really uh, beyond what was possible for me to give. So um, it's wise to know exactly a little bit, (laughs) that it hurts a little bit, but not too much, so that you don't have the sense of regret after all. Generosity then really emphasizes this openness and spaciousness of heart and mind, It really enables for the mind to be pliable and flexible and comfortable. And that's exactly what it should bring to the giver, this kind of nourishment that when we give away, there's an ease, a sense of happiness in ourself. And therefore, the mind is no longer rigid. It doesn't fixate or is preoccupied in one way or another. Generosity really can transform our heart and mind when we consciously value and appreciate that state of being and of well-being that it can bring. And even within our own practice, we can say that when we are generous with ourselves, we can really sense uh, when there's a moment of letting go from that fixation, how much it gives a birth of joy, a birth of happiness, a sense of being nurtured. And so this quality can really be recognized. I know that for myself, I often look at children to see that sense of generosity because when they're small children, you can really see that um, there is, of course, a sense of uh, this belongs to me, But there's also this wonderful spontaneity that manifests in children. And I'd like to read two poems from children that I received lately. One from um, my little niece, who's in second grade. I translated it into from French to English. (laughs) And then the other one is one that um, uh, a yogi um, uh, and friend's child uh, wrote. This is for you. I will give you my treasures I kept for a very long time. I will give you a petal that falls from a rose. I will give you the first golden leaf that falls in autumn. I will give you the sunken diamond that shines more than the sun. I will give you my last treasure, the seashell that echoes like the ocean. And this other one is, Give it away. I'm in such a grand and generous mood today. 
I want to give you a stuffed animal as a token for a good night's sleep. I want to give you a two-dollar bill to bring you luck. I want to give you a wild flower to scent your house with a nice fragrance. I want to give you a song in my clarinet. I just want to give you a smile that will bring you joy. <laughs> so much purity of heart. <laughs> so generosity really leads to that happiness because it frees the heart and mind that is encumbered by the habitual tendencies of craving, of grasping, of clinging, you know, holding on to keep, to guard, to hoard, because there's anxiety or there's worry in the mind, what great causes of suffering we have. And yet, you know, we know very well, at least we do, (laughs) that uh, accumulation of goods, of material goods, of things, of experiences, of money, really um, doesn't do it for us. There's no way that we can sense now that belief in the mind. And if there is the sense that I don't have enough, or I no one because I'm not getting what I want, well, this attitude will just reinforce the sense of feeling deprived and feeling that we will never have enough. That feeling of being constantly deprived of, or there's an absence, or seeing how much there's a lack, and to see this everywhere in our lives, really reinforces a lot of the pain. So it brings up the question, you know, how much do we really need? in order to be happy. And this, of course, links us to question in our lives. We do need a certain amount of things. You know, we need to have food. We need to have shelter. We need maybe to bring our kids through school if we have some. These are all legitimate questions. And um, there's a clarity that comes when we investigate this uh, inquiry and when the thoughts come from a place of equanimity, of real questioning where there's a paused reflection about what it is that is wholesome that I need to nurture for myself. Rather than investigating or really feeling this place of um, clinging, And really, under the clinging, we'll really notice probably a lot of fear. Fear of a lack. So when it is belated, it will never feel that it is enough. There's the sense of, it can never be enough. And this is a challenge for us, you know, to really notice how much. And to not reinforce the habit mind of hoarding and guarding. There's a short tale from the Middle Age which I really like. It speaks about a rich merchant that finds a beautiful young woman for his son to marry. And um, the son and 
this wife come and live with the rich merchant. They have a beautiful house. And after a few years, this rich merchant decides to retire from his business. He's worked a lot, and he lets his son take care of it. But the daughter-in-law really complains to her husband that this rich merchant, that the father-in-law, is still living in their house. Therefore, he is put in a very small room above the stable. And uh, then she says, oh, it's no use feeding this man anymore. You know, he's no good. And so after some time, she decides to kick him out of the house. And she says, but I can't kick him out just like that. You know, let's give him a horse and a blanket. And her son is with her. And this little boy says, oh, no, 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 we won't give the whole blanket, please. Go get some scissors and we'll cut the blanket in half. And the mother says, well, that's a little hard, don't you think? We could at least give him one blanket. And the boy insists, no, 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 please, go get some scissors. I want to cut the blanket in half. And the mother is so intrigued that she asks her son, but why do you want to cut the blanket in half? And he very wisely says, because the other half is going to be for you when you're going to be old. (laughs) 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 And when I'm going to kick you out of my house. And suddenly, (laughs) from this piece of wisdom, she understands. And she says, okay, we're going to take the father-in-law back, (laughs) the grandfather. And she gives him um, what he deserves. But it's just so amazing how, (laughs) uh, when there's a lot, you know, what is enough? How much stinginess can come in our life as we uh, see that maybe (laughs) a heart and mind that isn't wise can really very easily move into wanting for ourselves. I've had an example of this in my very uh, early years of practice in Asia. I practiced uh, many months at a time in Asia, was working for a few months, and then went out to Asia to practice. And I was just so careful to um, use my money wisely so that I could really practice very, very long months and a long time. And so I'd count my penny, you know. And after a while, I mean, this was wholesome at the beginning, and after a while I was really seeing into myself this poverty consciousness in a way that I really felt really poor. And not realizing how much I was closing down on myself, how much the heart was shutting down at um, counting so precisely, and how much this brought tension in myself. And the practice, of course, was not going well. There was so much energy used into um, worry about uh, this situation that one day I realized, mindfulness came in and I realized, don't worry so much about this situation. And so I began to really not only um, not hoard my money and keep it, but being generous and practicing the quality of heart of generosity. And it changed. It shifted this whole situation completely upside down. It was just so amazing how uh, 
openness came up and joy of giving was just so present. The amazing thing is that once I stopped worrying, a few weeks later uh, I had my birthday and I received some mail from the family and friends and um, there was in the mail quite a lot of money for my birthday and especially from a friend who was very inspired by the Dhamma that I was practicing and she said that she really wanted to support me and so uh, there was really no worry <laughs> to have and the law of karma was really working it's really a cause and effect you know you offer you're open and you receive there's a saying, in fact, and I remembered this saying um, that I heard so many times from my own teachers and that I remembered to myself, and that is that if you take of the care of the Dhamma, the Dhamma will take care of you. Meaning that if we really take care of our own wisdom and practice in a way that we reinforce understanding, there's definitely some um, receptivity there that comes forth. So it can be a real obstacle when we are so focused on not offering and being worried about how much we have. The second obstacle that can prevent one from offering is to think that it won't make a difference. You know, whatever the small action, whatever the energy we uh, offer, the time, the attention, um, that it really doesn't make a difference. And therefore then we move into that space of indifference. And there's then no longer a sense of caring, of manifesting our care. I think that every single action, even the small action that we do matters. Even if our world is small, it really matters what we do. There's a purity of mind in that sense of nourishing the heart and enabling one to receive our goodness. So love and care really spring forth from this um, mind that is generous. And we can see for ourselves You know, what are the places, where are the places where we have this tendency to go and to move into indifference because there's an avoidance, because maybe it's difficult. And I know that for myself, um, the place that we could look, each one of us can look, what is the situation where it's harder to manifest generosity? And for me, it was um, really meeting and manifesting a concern, a care for the homeless people, the beggars that are in the streets. And indeed, these last 10 years in Switzerland and even in Geneva, a very rich city, there are more and more people that are in the street and that uh, have apparently a sense of real need because they don't have shelter and they don't have food. And for a long time, I felt very uncomfortable with the homeless and with the people of the street because I didn't really know how to relate. I mean, 
I could, of course, you know, give a little penny, but that not that was not a, a real act of generosity of really meeting the other person. So I began to realize this, and it meant taking a risk, which was really threatening to me. But then I thought, you know, this other person, and in my street there, these three people that have a kind of camping ground there. And so I meet them over and over again, and it's great because I can really relate in a way that um, these are the same people. So there's uh, a concern in the sense that I I know ahead of time, usually, that these people are going to be there. And how am I going to relate to them? So ahead of time, you know, where is my inner attitude? What is my sense of kaka, of generosity? Is there a disposition that, yes, I'll be able to open to the situation or not? And it changes depending of the days, depending of the mood, depending of how I feel inside. And yet there's a possibility of manifesting this without fear, as I'm noticing that with the days, the possibility of also receiving what they can offer is something that I had not considered at first. Because there is definitely a sense of relationship that's two-sided. And so opening and really relating to these three people was quite an extraordinary shift in my own sense of uh, offering a generous heart, but also a sense of greater security, a greater safety within a threatened situation. And what's extraordinary is when I began to feel comfortable enough to share some words, uh, I began to know their name and their background and that these people came from the Balkan states and, uh, you know, places where there is war. And definitely uh, a situation was, which was really quite, quite... Um, Dramatic. But what was so touching and what really marveled in the mind was that there was a meeting of a human to a human, a looking at the eye of the other person and really consider this other human being to be a full human being. And that's exactly what they manifested, saying it's not so much what you offer you know, the penny or what, or the bread sometimes that I give, but it's that you consider me as being a full human being. And this is just so rare. And so <laughs> this act of generosity is something that I had absolutely not considered at first. I was really seeing, you know, what can I give materially? But um, the real meeting happens at a whole other level, which is much deeper. And then I started, you know, practicing in a way that I was noticing that this could be me. I could be in that situation. We could all be in that situation. You know, who knows? Who knows? We have the safety today, but nothing is sure. Nothing is secure. And so... um, it's incredibly easy for me, for us, at first, you know, to say, okay, it's them. 
and then there's a disconnection and it's not me being in that situation. And how, when there's a sense that, yes, it could be me, it lifts completely the disconnection and it brings this uh, wonderful, absolutely beautiful sense of care, of love, of, of generosity, of giving. So to look at another person in the eye, and not from the corner of the eye, but really look at another in this situation, um, is quite demanding. And yet it happens at the felt sense. This is um, another story. It was a bitter cold evening. The old man's beard was glazed by winter's frost while he waited for a ride across the river. The wait seemed endless. His body became numb and stiff from the frigid north wind. He heard the faint, steady rhythm of approaching hooves galloping along the frozen path. Anxiously, he watched as several horsemen rounded the bend. He let the first one pass by without an effort to get his attention. Then another passed by, and another. Finally, the last rider neared the spot where the old man sat like a snow statue. As this one drew near, the old man caught the rider's eye and said, Sir, would you mind giving an old man a ride to the other side? There doesn't appear to be a passageway. By foot, reining his horse, the rider replied, Sure thing, hop aboard. Seeing the old man was unable to lift his half-frozen body from the ground, the horseman dismounted and helped the old man onto the horse. The horseman took the old man not just across the river, but to his destination, which was just a few miles away. As they neared the tiny but cozy cottage, the horseman's curiosity caused him to inquire, Sir, I noticed that you let several other riders pass by without making an effort to secure a ride. Then I came up, and you immediately asked me for a ride. I'm curious why, on such a bitter winter night, you would wait and ask the last rider? What if I had refused and left you there? The old man lowered himself slowly down from the horse, looked the rider straight in the eyes, and replied, I've been around here for some time. I reckon I know people pretty good. The old-timer continued, I looked into the eyes of the other riders and immediately saw there was no concern for my situation. It would have been useless even to ask them for a ride. But when I looked into your eyes, kindness and compassion were evident. I knew there and then that, you gentle, that your gentle spirit would welcome the opportunity to give me assistance in my time of need. Those heartwarming comments touched the horseman very deeply. I'm most grateful for what you have said, he told the old man. May I never get too busy in my own affairs that I fail to respond to the needs of others with kindness and compassion. Looking at the eye of another and... Sure enough, in the felt sense, people can be recognized. And this was exactly what was manifested to me, that when there's sensitivity, 
one can feel if there's openness or not, whom we can ask for help or not. Can we be this person holding our intention to work with generosity wherever it needs to be looked at, whatever the situation for us. And it can be a different situation for myself. I really opened my heart to so many different situations through that practice of working with the homeless that today it brings so much joy in the heart, so much joy, so much happiness to encounter that kind of situation. And even in Asia, you know, I was in India not long ago. And in India, it's amazing how much um, there can be a sense of feeling invaded by the homeless and by the people that are in the streets, just because of the number, I think. It's not at all that they're different, you know. But it's just so amazingly beautiful to see... um, that there are real encounters with these people when there's a sense of opening the possibility of just staying present and to not judge. So the Buddha said that giving brings happiness at every stage of the path. He said that really there are three things of value that one receives when one gives. Because before giving, there's the mind of the giver, which is happy. Just that the feeling and the rejoicing of holding that intention to be generous. There's the thought of offering. We're happy. So to know that we're going to be doing this act. And then while giving, the mind is peaceful, the Buddha says. Because there's just a sense of peace of mind because we let go. There's no clinging in the mind. There's an offering, an opening of the heart and mind. And then having given, the mind of the giver is just uplifted because it rejoices at the remembering, the act, and therefore it brings a huge amount of joy in the heart. So we cultivate this positive attitude wherever we can. And we do so also in our practice. It seems that in Asia, really from a very, very young age, this practice of generosity is manifested in many, many Buddhist countries. And I've practiced a lot in Burma. And it's just so beautiful to see that from a very young age, It's a tradition. You can say that it's really marked in the culture that generosity is uh, a way of sharing and it comes from a space of complete spontaneity. There's nothing really that they have. There's no amount of possessions. Life is hard at Burma. It's uh, harder and harder actually as the years go by. And um, never would it enter the mind of a person to um, keep what one has, whether it's a meal, whether it's um, 
something that um, you have. There's just enough. It feels like there's always plenty just because of the perspective of this uh, huge amount of offering and the presence of the heart of the people that are obviously not manifesting this um, act of giving from a space of self. There's a sense of um, rejoicing, probably because there's a notion of um, receiving the, the merits, the acts of merits that one receives when one is the giver is just as valuable as the one that receives. So there's a sharing. There's no sense of, in a way, of giver and, and receiver. It's all interconnected. And so we can see that the fruits emerge for all those who are present. And it's this beautiful quality of heart that manifests um, over and over again. Each morning, the monks that um, are in the monastery that I practiced in go on alms round. And um, this is done in a way that they do not need the rice that is offered to the monks because the monks receive uh, rice from um, benefactors. There's a lot of benefactors. But the village people, there's this tradition that the village people each day offer the rice for them to be able to practice this generosity of heart and so that they can accumulate and they receive the blessings, the acts of merits. And so I practiced uh, near this very small village and we could follow the line of the monks and each house, it was a fairly big village, each house had each morning a person or more than a person in front of their house standing as the monks would pass by and just have this wonderful practice of generosity of putting a spoonful of rice in the monks' bowls, each monk passing by. And you would see these very, very small children, you know, they would be toddlers, they wouldn't even be walking, that they held the spoon and they'd be so happy and just open their hands and, and offer. And of course, there was just such a rejoicing of the sense of the meaning of just, you know, giving, giving. And then they do their little bows, three bows. It was just so touching. It brought really tears in the eyes. How, at such a young age, this tradition was um, kept, even today. And so, in fact, (laughs) it's this beautiful interconnectedness that happens. And the rice that was coming back to the monastery was not eaten by the monks, because the monks had a better quality of rice than the one that the villagers were offering. So we, as lay yogis, were eating the rice that was offered by the villagers. And it was just this beautiful manifestation of great generosity, which was uh, manifesting every single day. And there wouldn't be, I did this, I've been in this monastery quite a number of times, Never would there be a house in front of which there would be no one. 
I mean, it's just quite extraordinary. And the monks, the the monastic community, really count on the generosity of the lay people in a way that uh, it's totally essential to that culture. So here's a saying from the Buddha. He says, in giving, we receive. It's exactly the same. As we give, we receive. This is a process that really helps us again and again realize how this purity of heart um, is so meaningful and so how it helps us really move away from this uh, self-centeredness that can happen at times. This sense of separation then just drops away. The Buddha said, if you knew what I know about the benefit of generosity, you wouldn't let a meal go by without sharing it. And I really often have a practice of doing this, of whatever it is that we are eating here. It's been done, it's been cultivated, it's been offered with so much care that we can, before eating our meal, just uh, in our minds share it with all beings, just like we do the dedication of merits. So it's a beautiful practice that really uh, helps us move away from this limited uh, and fixated view of me, I, mine, (laughs) that um, is often coming um, before we're really truly generous. And to see that it's a possibility that we are manifesting in a way that in this big world there is the fact of impermanence and that whatever we're going to be offering is going to be passed on and we're going to receive. And it's really endless, this generosity that pours out from uh, a sense of a bigger perspective. In the West, the tradition of dana is definitely manifesting in many, many ways. And um, I don't think that it's limited to our small circles. More and more do we see big enterprise, big companies really manifesting generosity. Uh, you can think of Bill Gates. <laughs> He's one of them who really, I mean, is definitely moving towards um, offering the world what is extra. Maybe he has a lot, but yet he could, you know, not do it. And so there's there's definitely a movement that goes against the grain of the habitual tendency. So this whole culture can really um, notice, we can notice, and how it may be that we feel that in our culture there is generosity. We may look at the negative, but we can also see how much is done, how much concern there is um, in this regard towards um, loving-kindness and from a space of wisdom that allows for a greater interconnectedness. I think that the example of this retreat is a beautiful 
manifestation of generosity, immense generosity, in so many ways, so many regards. There's the way that some benefactors have really enabled some people to sit this retreat. Just the fact of, you know, having a scholarship fund, for example. Maybe some of us would not be able to be here. And so we can regard that as a very immense generosity of heart. And then your own offering for meal dana, for example, you know, um, in dedication to someone that you're thinking of, a friend, a partner, someone else. And we benefit from this great generosity, having this possibility of receiving from you this dana. The great, great generosity of the staff, of beings that care so well for us, that attend so well to the retreat that we have nothing to worry about except for our own practice, our own mindfulness practice. And that's really an incredible situation. It's extraordinary. The teachings that are based in offering in a way that they come from a generous heart. And they're certainly received from a space of generosity. And your own practice and how much support you get from the fellow yogis. We would be here alone. Definitely, it would be harder, I can tell you. (laughs) We are receiving this extraordinary help and support from our fellow yogis, the Sangha, and how much we can take refuge in one another, even if we don't talk. There's an incredible sense of connectedness, interconnectedness, interbeing. So this makes for a beautiful web of interconnectedness, and it can touch the heart. It's just wonderful to feel and to sense and to reflect on this powerful force that we are cultivating and nourishing here. A boundless, endless circle that ripples far beyond their hermitage or the Sanjaranimo Lodge. As the Buddha tells us, the greatest gift is the act of giving itself. It's the act of giving which is the greatest gift. So the benefits of generosity are immeasurable. When we are genuinely generous, it's said that we are loved by others, that people do not fear us, that people are not threatened by us, because there is this sense of ease of connectedness, of openness. And therefore, there's the possibility of rejoicing. So we can look at what creates suffering, the forces of greed, hatred, and delusion. Definitely, we've been seeing these again and again. But it's also possible to reinforce the powerful forces of generosity, loving-kindness, and wisdom. And this is exactly what we're doing here 
in an extraordinary beautiful way. It's said that there's three degrees or layers of generosity. The one is the one-handed giving. And we may begin there, you know, and it's also called the, be- the beggarly giving, meaning that um, we give and we still hold on to. And it, it happens that it manifests in this way. There's still a resistance to give. Or we may give because somebody is looking at us, you know, and <laughs> we have the sense, oh, this person is looking, so, you know, i got to give. Uh, or someone maybe told you to give, and it wasn't spontaneous, you know. So that's, that's a first level, yet there's definitely uh, a participation there, but it's not a full offering. And in India at times, when I was talking about all these beings that are requesting from you attention, (laughs) money, or whatever, um, there's a sense that after a while, I would, at the end of the day, give in a very beggarly way, (laughs) just to have a peace of mind. And I would see how, you know, at first there was this huge generosity of heart, and then at the end of the day, at times when it was just too much, well, the mind was just not disposed so well. And uh, it was, in a way, to be able to be left alone. <laughs> and it's okay, you know, we're not perfect. It's fine. It's just <laughs> what it is. The second degree is called friendly giving, which means that um, there's definitely enough and we can give open-handedly, meaning that there's two hands that are open, and we share what we have. It's just a clear giving that comes from the wish of sharing. And the third is called the kingly, or the queenly giving. And this means that very spontaneously, there's an instinct, and probably this takes (laughs) some practice, but it means that we really give the best of what we have. Even if something is precious for us, well, there's a sense suddenly of a spontaneity and um, we just, in reality, don't have the sense that we're possessing something. But we are able to notice that there's a lot of spaciousness in ourself and there's no self-reference then and we just offer the best of what we have. For this, the metaphor in the text is used as one of the sun that shines on the whole of the earth. Everywhere the sun will shine. It won't shine on certain parts of the earth and say, I'm not going to give you know, sunshine to this little piece of land. So no part is left out. And so... We can see ourselves, you know, move from one type to the other. And it's not that there's an increase and that we'll never go back to beggarly giving. It really depends of how we are situated and what of the situation itself. But I think that what matters is that we really care to look 
at where it is that we are on the path and how it is that we are manifesting. That so that there's wisdom and so that we know exactly where we're standing rather than stay in ignorance. And so this genuine, authentic giving is what matters. It doesn't matter what the amount is, but it's really feeling the sense of um, having an awareness, a connection, which enables one to really know where it is that we stand. If there's an absence of hurt, great. If it hurts, know that it hurts. It really comes back to know exactly with mindfulness what is happening. The Buddha spoke of the gift of Dhamma as being the highest gift. He says, to see the truth, and that's exactly what we're doing here, and to understand from seeing this truth is the highest gift that we offer to ourselves and beyond. When we will sense what we are offering to ourselves, then very naturally there will be a greater opening and um, less selfishness. And often, you know, people really think that what we're doing is pretty selfish, (laughs) looking at our belly and uh, counting our breaths or just staying with ourself is an act that can look a little selfish. And yet it's exactly the opposite. Because if there's some clarity within our own hearts and mind, definitely there's this growth of understanding from which outpours the qualities of heart and mind. This is from the Dhammapada. It says, The gift of truth excels all gifts. The flavor of reality surpasses all flavors. The delight of truth transcends all delights. Freedom from craving is the end of all suffering. So this is happening when we see more and more clearly for ourselves. This is what we learn, how we let go of clinging, of attachment, of fixation to self and trust the present awareness which will inevitably manifest a generosity of heart, a kindness towards ourself at first and then a kindness towards the world. And from that sense of interconnectedness, really there's a feeling of gratitude that can come forth. We can rejoice in that possibility of letting go. There's a little practice that the Tibetans do and that I've learned from them when I was on the high plateaus in Tibet. And the nomads showed me this little practice when they want to practice generosity because of course we couldn't share with words so we played around with (laughs) gestures and objects and um, the practice that the Tibetans do when they want to practice generosity is um, they'll have a very simple object probably like a, a, a potato or a turnip and they take it in one hand and they pass it on to the other hand and to really notice how one can 
practice letting go and how it feels you know, to really move and to do that movement back and forth. And so we did this with potatoes, <laughs> the Tibetans and um, the group that we were. And then we take objects of greater value. You know, she went and she <laughs> got this wonderful, beautiful teapot, <laughs> which was um, quite beautiful, and took the teapot and then, you know, did the same thing, passed it from one hand to the other, just to practice generosity, to enable. So you can um, maybe have a little bit of fun and play <laughs> if you wish. With children, it's great. I've done it with my own nieces and they loved it Mm. to notice what happens in the heart so I'd like to close with um, a teaching that comes from the Dalai Lama and um, this is a practice that the Dalai Lama asks from people He says, and he has asked that this practice may be shared with as many people as possible. So I thought that this would be a perfect opportunity to share it with you. And then you can not only practice it, but share it with other beings. He gave this practice to a group who met with him. um, A group that was focusing on questions which they thought were really important to them, and this was a very big gathering. And so there were five questions that were asked to the Dalai Lama. The first one is, how do we address the widening gap between the poor and the rich? And the second question is, how do we protect the earth? The third question is, how do we educate our children? And the fourth is, how do we help Tibet and all other oppressed countries and all the people of the world that are oppressed? And the last question is, how do we bring spirituality, meaning deep caring for one another through all the disciplines of life? So those were the five questions that were addressed to the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai response, after he reflected for a while, said that all five questions fall under the last one. If we have true kindness and compassion in our hearts, he says, our children will be educated wisely. We will care for the earth. Those who have not will be cared for. And then the group asked the Dalai Lama, do you think loving on the planet is increasing or staying the same? And his response was, my experience leads me to believe that love is increasing. And then he asked everyone that was present to share a simple practice that will increase this love and compassion in the world. And he asked everyone in the group to share it with as many people as they can.
that's why I'm sharing it with you. <laughs> it's a wonderful opportunity. <laughs> so here's the practice. And fortunately, we've done a lot of it <laughs> in our own way. He said, in your daily life, take the time. Spend five minutes at the beginning of the day remembering that we all want the same things. Every one of us. We all want to be happy and to be loved. And we're all connected to one another. So spend five minutes thinking of that. And then spend five minutes breathing in, cherishing yourself. Breathing out, cherishing others. If you think about people you have difficulty cherishing, cherish them anyway. (laughs) During the day, extend that attitude to everyone you meet. Practice cherishing. Practice cherishing the simplest person, the clerk, the attendant, the people on the streets, in the same way that you would cherish the important people in your life, the ones you love. Cherish the people you love and cherish the people you dislike. And the last is to continue this practice no matter what happens or what anyone does to you. These thoughts are very simple, he says, inspiring and helpful. The practice can be taken very, very deep if done wordlessly. Just allow yourself to feel the love and appreciation that already exists in your heart and start from there. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.